The life of a district superintendent isn't easy. You have to juggle a lot, from managing big groups of administrators and teachers to pushing a district forward. So what is the hardest part of a superintendent's job, and is it related to technology? In a series of interviews that EdSurge conducted at the ISTE EdTech Conference a few weeks ago, Michael Winters and I, Mary Jo Matta, had the opportunity to interview Dr. Greg Goins, a superintendent from Illinois who has made some pretty strong movements with EdTech in his district. Does he think that smart boards are effective? What are the EdTech products that he's just tired of hearing about? Well, we went deep with him on his thoughts on leadership and technology during this podcast recording in front of a live audience. We'll get to that in a second, but first, here's the news bits. I'm Mary Jo Matta, and my colleague Blake Montgomery will be bringing you the news before we get to the interview. Welcome to the EdSurge Podcast. Rich Miner, partner at Google Ventures, which isn't that quite the name for a venture capitalist, is leaving his post in favor of an education project for Google. Details about the move, first reported by Fortune, are scant. Miner himself claimed that, quote, I don't actually know exactly what we're building yet. But Google Ventures' education portfolio, which includes Undella, Clever, Desmos, No Red Ink, and Udacity, leaves him wanting more. The word ultra gets associated with marathons and record labels. Blackboard Incorporated hopes that you'll link the word with its learning management system's suite of new features. Included in the update is a feed-like activity system, a messaging feature for student-to-student or instructor-to-student chats, and the ability to add content like video or syllabi to courses. Check out Blackboard Ultra for more. More news about Blackboard. They're holding their annual conference this week, and they've gobbled up more than a dozen startups since 2014. One of them is MyEDU, a coursework planning and internship tool, and it'll be shut down on September 30th. Weird. The number of states planning to use the Park and Smarter Balance tests has dropped from 45 in 2011 to 20 in 2016, Education Next reports. As support for the Common Core wanes among politicians and educators, Park and Smarter Balanced, closely aligned with the Core, have also fallen from favor, and as more states abandon the tests, the benefit of interstate comparability, once promised, decreases. California Attorney General Kamala Harris announced that her office had reached a $168.5 million settlement as a result of its investigation into K-12 Incorporated and its affiliate, California Virtual Schools, over misleading advertisements and dubious reporting of student numbers. But the company denies any wrongdoing and asserts that the settlement is only $2.5 million. Read more on edsurge.com. Speaking of virtual charter schools, Oklahoma is making moves to shut down a virtual charter school for the first time, and it's far from the only state doing so. Online charters are under fire all across the country. California has alleged, as we just said, that K-12 Inc. falsely reported attendance data for tens of millions of dollars in state funding. National pro-charter groups are piling on virtual charters with reform recommendations. The most embattled state of all, though, may be Ohio which we go into detail about on edsearch.com. 
And now it's time for Kaching. <laughs> DIY, the startup behind an online community for kids to learn, make, and share projects, quietly raised $4 million last year in a round led by Learn Capital and joined by Spark Capital. The funding went to support the launch of Jam.com, a platform where kids can learn skills like animation from partners such as Cartoon Network. Those who can code may land well-paying jobs. Those who build the tools to teach coding may win venture capital. Codecademy, one of the earlier learn-to-code startups on the scene, has raised $30 million in a Series C round led by Naspers, a South Africa-based media conglomerate. More from our interview with co-founder and CEO Zach Sims on the journey and where the company's going next on edsearch.com. Looking to diversify its portfolio of charities and its workforce at the same time, Facebook has pledged $15 million over the next five years to Code.org, a nonprofit working to expand the availability of computer science education. Giving a hint to its motivations, the social network released a report on the diversity of its own employees on the same day, which shows that the numbers have not changed significantly since 2015. All right, listeners, it is time for the bread and butter of the podcast. What does it mean to be a tech-enhanced superintendent? And what does Dr. Greg Goins want to see more of in classrooms? During this live interview to follow, we got a chance to hear from this superintendent on what's keeping schools from moving forward and more. By the way, like we mentioned last week, we decided to play a little game during this interview. Since EdTech buzzwords just drive us bananas, we had a secret word that the interviewees didn't know about. And if they said it aloud, our audience hit the buzzer. So see if you can hear when it gets said during this interview. Let's get to it. Okay, so Dr. Greg Goins, welcome to the uh, Ed Surge podcast live stage. How are you feeling today? I'm thrilled to be here. I even wore my Ed Surge green. Uh, which so, we appreciate. Yeah. I got to get a high five for that. Good job. So can you give the crowd um, like a two-minute introduction to who you are? Yeah, I'm a school district superintendent from the state of Illinois, uh, actually finishing up my 14th year. So uh, I've been in the game for a while, which you could tell with all the gray hair. Uh, it's a very challenging job at times, but I love working with kids and with teachers and uh, obviously have a great passion for educational technology and trying to create future-ready schools. Dr. Gunz, what does your, what is, like, what characterize your district? for us? My district is a K-12 district. It's in a rural area. I have about 1,800 students. Uh, we have about 115 teachers. Um, so it's the, the southern part of Illinois. We're actually about five hours south of Chicago, probably a little closer to St. Louis okay. uh, than I am Chicago. But, um, you know, we, we bring a group of teachers here every year. I think this is our sixth year that we've been to the ISTE conference. And we always pick up wonderful ideas and always take at least one or two things back to our district and try to implement those for the upcoming school year. So we're hoping to do that again. So on that note, what have you seen at ISTE that, what's like one thing you've seen that you cannot wait to get back to your district and tell every single person you know about it? Oh, there's just, there's so, there's so much. It's like Disneyland when you walk through the exhibit hall. I mean, I could spend hours talking to everyone about this product or that product. But, I, you know, I think the thing that I'm excited about is, um, you know, every district's kind of at a different place in their, their walk with technology. 
And I think we're to the point now where we're really getting into the more robotics type stuff. And uh, so we're going to try to do some of that at the high school level next year. And so any, any opportunity to kind of walk by and see the robots. Or, and we, we're doing some things with maker spaces too, which a lot of districts are doing. So uh, just t- trying to take that gradual next step and try to figure out where to go from there. So you've, you've been a superintendent, you said, for 14 years, right? So 14 years out of the classroom, kind of being in this, in this way up above the position. Um, how do you stay current and stay grounded in, in what the day-to-day life of, you, of your teachers or administrators is like? Well, obviously, I have a passion for uh, ed tech, and uh, I do some podcasting on the side. I do a, uh, a show Shameless for... plug. I do a show for school leaders uh, called The Going Digital Show, and you can find that on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. But I just spend time talking with, with my faculty and staff. And one of my principals is here. And one of our teachers from our district is here. And we spend a lot of time talking about, you know, what direction we want to go in terms of creating a better uh, learning culture in our classrooms. Because I, I'm a firm believer that kids today want a much different learning experience than ever before. They don't want the same experience that their parents and grandparents have had. So this is their time. And sometimes... As adults, we just need to get out of the way, mm-hmm. and you know, let's ask them what you know. What do you want to do? You know, how can technology make your learning experience more relevant? And as we continue to do that, we continue to evolve, and our curriculum changes. So, on that note of keeping things relevant, um, Michael asked the question of how you stay connected. How do you also ensure, though, that teacher voice plays a role in the tech decisions that you and your district endeavor to make? Well, it's always going to be a collaborative discussion. And, uh, you know, throughout my district, I have four principals and uh, a couple assistant principals. And, you know, we have an open door policy. Anyone wants to talk about ed tech? And we have several teachers that are here now, and their wheels are turning, things that they want in their classroom. Obviously, money is always going to be a factor. That's going to be an obstacle to what we can do with our curriculum. But, you know, we look at those things, and we have, you know, very enriched discussions about, uh, you know, what's the benefit going to be for kids. And at the end of the day, you know, a lot of us have one-to-one programs. We all have iPads. We pat ourselves on the back. But, you know, you ask the real tough question is, how does that impact student learning? You know, what, what kind of data can we look at that shows that we're actually doing something positive for kids in the classroom? How does it enhance learning? So uh, I hope we all get out of that mode where, hey, look at us, we all have iPads, to, hey, look at us, this is how, you know, our scores have, have increased, or this is how our learning has, has, has evolved. So that, that data, though, on, on what, you know, how, how student uh, learning is being impacted, that can be hard to find. So where do you look to, to try to understand the impact that these products if are having? If I had the answer, I'd have a booth at the exhibit hall, That's probably. <laughs> I mean, I'd be a very, a very rich man, but, I mean, it's just... You know, having those conversations, spending time in the classroom, talking to teachers, and, you know, just, it's a real simple question, why? You know, why are you doing what you're doing in your classroom today? What app are you using? What digital tool are you using? And then, you know, tell me why. You know, what's the benefit for the student? And, you know, uh, at one time, we were one of the only districts in our area, we had a smart board in every classroom. Hey, look at us, we have a smart board. Smart board's a teacher tool. And, you know, if it's used effectively, it can enhance student learning. But I think that conversation has to be flipped now to what tools and devices or apps or whatever the case may be can be incorporated to help the student. Because when we talk about one-to-one, the one has to be the student. I always feel a little awkward when someone starts talking about interactive whiteboards because I, <laughs> I don't like... Does anybody in here like interactive whiteboards? 
Well, of course, now they're not going to raise not their hands because I just said something mean about Loaded them. question, Mary okay. Jo. Um, but on the note of things that I don't like, is there anything at ISTE that you have been seeing or hearing about you know, during this conference that you are so sick of hearing about that you just want to throw up anytime you hear about it? Not on this stage, though. Yeah. Don't, please don't on this stage. Yeah. You know, not really, because I think the people that are here, you know, we always talk on Twitter about find your tribe. The tribe is here. I mean, we all kind of uh, are in the same place at the same time, and we're engulfed in, in what we're doing. So no, not, not particularly. Uh, the, one, the one really cool thing I did pick up wasn't even at the conference. It was just following the hashtag. I learned about the game of phones. So now the people in my group, we've been looking at Game of Phones, and we're trying to figure out how to incorporate that at our next Ed Camp. What is, what is Game of Thrones? Well, you know, Game of Thrones is the HBO show. No way. Game of Phones. You know nothing, Mary Jo. <laughs> game of Phones, you, everyone takes their smart board, and it's a card game, and you ask questions, and everyone find a picture of uh, Hillary Clinton with a hat on. And the, the person, you know, you, so you search for it, you find it, and you, there's a judge, and everyone shows their photograph, and you pick a winner that way, so... Kind of Google that, and uh, Game of Game of Phones is something we're going to have at our Ed Camp, I think. Has anybody else in here played Game of Phones? Has anybody ever wow. heard of Game of Phones? But are you in his district? He's yeah, okay, so that doesn't yeah. count. But thank you, I appreciate that. Google okay. Game of Phones. It's a really fun game, and you'll you can obviously you can incorporate your own questions in your classroom. Something new that I guess nobody I I'd never no, heard of that. No, yeah. Okay. Well, is there anything, any other cool strategies or tools that you want to share with the crowd that you think that probably people haven't heard of? I, I think I got lucky with Game of Phones, so I don't want to press <laughs> my luck. But, you know, being at a conference like this, it's just amazing. There are so many different learning opportunities. My, my brother was in town the other day, and I showed him the Lyft app for the first time. Mm -hmm. He thought that was so cool. He'd never heard of it, and I actually showed him how it worked. So, I, I mean, it's the little things that you kind of take away from conferences like these. Yeah. All right, well, let's move into something a little bit bigger. So a lot of people, and, I'll, and then I'm going to let you ask a question, Michael, because I totally just stole that, stole uh, your thunder. Right. Um, a lot of people have, you know, come up to us and ask, what is school going to look like in 30 years? What is school going to look like in 50 years, 100 years? Are we even going to call it school anymore? What's learning going to look like? What do you think your district is going to look like in 30 years? I would like to say that it's going to evolve into a place in which you don't actually have to be physically in that space to learn. But schools, uh, I mean, we're notorious for being so far behind in adapting to new technologies and new ideas. And I think we're so entrenched in these traditional models of what school is supposed to look like and be like. Um, I don't know if we'll get there or not. But I think, in my mind at least, I think we're moving toward uh, an educational system that's based on mobile devices, and it's going to be personalized learning for you when you want it, where you want it. And you may not have to be in this room at 2 o'clock to learn whatever it is we're going to learn about. I, in my mind, I think that's where we're going. But, uh, I, you know, I don't have a crystal ball either, so. You don't? I but don't. That's why we brought I you up here. I left it at home. <laughs> what do you think about that, Michael? I think it sounds, it sounds good. Um, I, I had a question about the, the present day, back to the, back to the present day. Um, what, what has been the, the most challenging part for your district as you've implemented tech and, and evolved your tech strategy over the last 5, 10, 14 years? Change is the most difficult thing in education, yeah. and I, really in life. And just to get people to try something new 
and to uh, take a chance, take a risk. Uh, I mean, we have great teachers in my district. There are great teachers in every district, mm -hmm. but there are some that are just, um, when it comes to technology, they're just afraid to take that leap. And, uh, and that's, you know, I, I beg people, try something new. You may fail. That's okay. But in my mind, everything's going to be a work in progress. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have a lot of things that I would classify a work in progress right now. Some of them are going to be successful. Some of them will not. But if you fail, you know, we're going to regroup and try to figure out what to do next. So. But it seems like we talk about having more failure in schools and accepting failure for what it is. But it seems like people are still really afraid to bring the concept of failure into schools. I mean, even just this morning, I was talking with a teacher from, um, from Texas, and she was saying, you know, I, in my science classroom, I want to teach the kids about how you react to failure. And my principal said that she felt a little frustrated with that. She didn't really like that. So what is it going to take to make us okay with accepting failure and learning from it? I think a lot of that comes from your school leadership, whether it's your principal, your superintendent. They, they have to make it very clear that Risk-taking needs to be rewarded, and it is okay to fail. And we need to experiment and try to find the, what, the best possible way to educate our kids in the 21st century. And, um, you know, a lot of times I think that fear factor is just the fact that teachers are afraid in the classroom because the kids are so much further advanced than they are, a lot of times. And so that's scary a lot of times for the classroom teacher. But, yeah, we're just going to have to accept the fact that we're, we might be learning something together. I no longer have to be the only expert in the room if I'm the classroom teacher. Fun fact, speaking of Google, if when my old students used to ask me a question, if I didn't know the answer to it, I would say, you know what, go Google that, come back to me tomorrow, and I'll give you extra credit if you have the right answer. But I didn't want to admit that I didn't know the answer. Has anybody else been in that situation? Yeah, so it's tough. I mean, learning to fail and being okay with it is kind of scary. And classroom teaching has changed. We talk about the fact all the time that if your student can easily Google the answer, it probably wasn't a very good question. <laughs> so you, you probably have to rethink some of your questioning strategies yeah. and some of your, your lesson planning throughout the day. And with kids, you know, uh, I heard the other day, I think it was Ken Robinson talked about, it's only technology if you can remember a time in which it didn't exist. Mm -hmm. Kids don't talk about technology because for them, it's just day-to-day -day utilities that they're, that they're going to use in their everyday life. I talk about technology because I remember a time when none of this stuff was here. So uh, we have to start thinking more in terms of uh, dealing with those digital natives and thinking about what they want in the classroom. I, ooh, you turned right back to me. You knew I was going to ask a question. I don't know question. which way to look. <laughs> <laughs> we, shouldn't, we shouldn't have surrounded our guests. Maybe we'll switch seating positions. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I'm from Illinois. Um, I know about where, where Frankfurt is, and um, I, you know, it's not, your district does not have some of the advantages that a district in Chicago might have or a district in Houston or in Denver. Um, so what, what are some of the challenges you've encountered as a, as a district that's more out of the way and not in, not in a central city, major city like that? And how have you, you guys been able to overcome them? Well, I think, uh, you know, funding is always going to be an issue. And uh, we have to really prioritize how we want to spend our money in terms of technology. Now, we do have a BYOD program. Uh, so uh, students are allowed to bring devices at our junior high building. And it still amazes me the number of school districts that do not allow students to bring in their personal devices and use them, especially when I think about how much money is spent each year on technology. And, you know, they're bringing a, a computer in their pocket to school, and we tell them to shut it down. But 
you know, we try to use grant money when we can for technology. We try to put our technology plan in place where we can kind of prioritize what's important. But it is a struggle. And if you know anything about Illinois, we just went through an entire year without a state budget. Yeah. So uh, and it's, um, that makes it very challenging. And we're getting re we just started year two, or we will on July 1st, and there's no budget in sight. So we're just kind of trying to get through it until the uh, politicians decide they can all play, play nice together. Is that possible? I, not in Illinois. <laughs> I don't see it happening anytime soon. We should go get a drink after this. <laughs> you probably need a stiff beverage. Um, we didn't have time to do this with Jamie and Jonathan, unfortunately, but if anybody has questions, now's the time to ask. Greg, again, is a superintendent. He's got a lot of experience. You've been in this for 14 years? Just finished 14. 14 years. So if you have a question for a superintendent, now's the time to ask. I'm so good at wait time. I'm so good at wait time. They're thinking, why do you have a superintendent on us again? <laughs> we came to the conference to get away from those guys. <laughs> I mean, being a superintendent is a really tough job. I think it's great that you guys come to ISTE. Some days are better than others, but I, I certainly enjoy being here, and, and I meet so many wonderful people and learn, take so many great ideas back to my district. Do you think that people are afraid to come to you to ask for your advice because you are a superintendent? I think it's just human nature. I, I think a lot of times people don't want to admit that they don't know something that maybe they think they should know. Uh, they're certainly not shy about asking me for money or for new technology tools for the classroom. So I get a lot of requests, but uh, I think they all understand that there's a process that, that needs to be in place. Can we give a round of applause for Dr. Greg Goins, please? Superintendent's extraordinaire. Thank you so much. And you only said the buzzword once. So we actually are not that upset with you. You're good to go. Big thanks to Dr. Greg Goins for talking to us. It's not easy to be a superintendent. Now, listeners, we've been getting some great responses to the question on our podcast survey that reads, what questions should we ask on air? Some questions are, why are edtech companies slow to respond to the growing technology gap in urban and rural school districts across the country? We don't know the answer, but we're going to look to investigate. We're still reading responses, so if you're interested in sharing more about what you want to hear about, go to bit.ly slash edsurgeonair to fill it out. That's bit.ly slash edsurgeonair, like the name of the show. By the way, for all you superintendents out there, it's not too late to sign up for our California Superintendent Summit taking place in the Bay Area on July 26th. It's totally free, so just Google California Superintendent Summit, and it'll be the first thing that comes up. And with that, I'm Mary Jo Matta. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. This is the Ed Surge Podcast.